1: Good morning. Happy Saturday. Today's October 17th. Thanks for tuning in and starting your weekend with us. I'm Will Bangora, everybody's favorite pet behavior expert and your host. And you're listening to Pet Talk today on the Pulse of Arizona, 1100 KFNX, where I take your calls and answer your pet behavior and training questions each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Do you have a crazy cat or an out-of-control dog that desperately needs some training and behavior help? Are you fed up with your pet just not listening? Well, I'm here to help you deal with all of your pet behavior problems. So be sure to tune in and listen to Pet Talk today each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. And bring your pet behavior and training questions for me to answer and help you to have a better mannered and better behaved pet that you can truly enjoy and put an end to these frustrating unwanted behaviors for good. Today, I've got a very special guest that I've wanted to interview for some time. I'm really excited to interview my guest and just talk with him and have a discussion about dogs, dog training and dog behavior. Uh, my guest is a pioneer and a seasoned veteran in the dog training industry, which really just is a nice way of saying, you know what? We're a bunch of old dudes that have been doing this for a very long time. Ed Frawley started Learberg Video in Kennel in the mid-1970s. Learberg is a professional video studio that specializes in producing dog training videos and DVDs. Um, Ed Frawley has produced over 120 dog training videos, more than anyone else in the world. The quality of his work is recognized around the world as the best dog training videos available anywhere so don't go anywhere we're going to be talking with Ed in just a few minutes okay Well, that sound means it's time for Pet Talk News. Today's news, there's a study that says kids with pet dogs have fewer social interaction problems. Young children with family dogs were 23% less likely to have social interaction problems than children whose households did not have a dog. The findings come from an analysis of data from a three-year study of 1,646 households with preschool children ages 2 to 5. Specifically, the researchers found that children who had a dog were 30% less likely to engage in antisocial behavior and 40% less likely to have problems interacting with other children than were youngsters from homes that did not include a dog. In addition, children who had dogs were 34% more likely to engage in considerate behaviors such as sharing or helping others. And the more time they spent playing with their dog, the more a child was likely to be considerate. Those who had three or more play sessions with their dog each week were 74% more likely to be consistently considerate compared with those who played less often. One of the researchers said that the mere presence of a family dog was associated with many positive behaviors and emotions. The study also noted that the findings suggest that the benefits from owning a pet dog may commence early in childhood. I'm your host, Will Bangor, and you are listening to Pet Talk today on 1100 KFNX, where we discuss your dog and cat training and behavior problems each and every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on the Pulse of Arizona 1100 KFNX. If we have a little time later in the show, we will take your calls about your dog training and behavior problems. So make note of the listener call in line. If you're in Phoenix or the surrounding area, the number to call is 602-277-5369. 602 kfnx those outside of Phoenix can call toll free at 866-536-1100 we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors uh, we will be talking with Ed Frowley, dog trainer pioneer with over 50 years training dogs don't go away, we will be right back
0: Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood, sharing funny tales about your four-legged fur babies, answering questions, some even ridiculous, and taking your calls. It's Pet Talk Today with your host, Will Bangura. To have your questions answered or to comment on today's show, call the KFNX listener line at 602-277-5369. 602-277-KFNX. Those outside of Phoenix call toll-free 866-536-1100. Now, back to Pet Talk Today with your host and everyone's favorite pet behavior expert, Will Bangura.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Will Bangora, and you're listening to Pet Talk today on the Pulse of Arizona, 1100 KFNX, where I take your calls and answer your pet behavior and training questions each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Do you have a crazy cat or an out-of-control dog that desperately needs some training? Are you fed up with your pet just not listening? Well, that's what this show is about. We're here to help you deal with all of your pet behavior problems. Today, we've got a special show. We're going to be interviewing a very special guest. My guest today is Ed Frowley. Ed has done so much and knows so much about dogs and the dog training industry that if I read a complete bio on Ed, we'd be here all day and there would not be any time left for our interview. That's how extensive Ed's background is. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into our interview with Ed. Ed, welcome to Pet Talk today. It's an honor to have you here on the show with us.
2: Thanks, Will. Hey. I'm blushing for what you said. Oh, My well, head's big. Don't, don't, I can't stand it.
1: don't, don't blush too much because actually before, uh, uh, before we got you on the air, uh, I had mentioned that, uh, you were a, a pioneer and a seasoned veteran in the dog training industry. And I told everybody that just means you're a really old guy and you've been doing That's this exactly forever, right. right? You've been doing <laughs> this forever.
2: Yeah. How's your weather in Phoenix? Um,
1: it's good. You know, we're, we're starting to get rid of the hundred degree days, uh, starting to get down to, uh, to double digits a little bit. So oh, my actually. Goodness.
2: It snowed here in Wisconsin yesterday. My wife and I sold our house. Our second house, Winter House, in Scottsdale, a couple of months ago, and I already miss it. Especially Uh, when it snows. I get used to this.
1: I bet. Yeah. So now, this is the time of year where it's a little difficult for folks in your part of the country to, uh, get their dogs out. And this is the time of the year when here in Arizona, we get our dogs out as much as possible. So. Yeah. So, um, I was telling, um, before we got John, I was talking a little bit about Learburg, um, Video, uh, Learberg, DVD, um, Learburg.com. um Can you, because I didn't do a, a real bio on you, but I always kind of like uh, my guests to kind of talk about themselves because you know your stuff more than anybody. Can you share with our guests a little bit about what Learberg video and DVD, what Learberg.com is all about and what you have to offer?
2: Well, I uh, I'm 70, I'll be 73 next month. And uh, I went to my, I've always had dogs, our whole family's had dogs, and when I went to college, I worked for a vet cleaning dog runs and studied business and didn't learn anything other than how to clean dog runs and drink beer in Wisconsin and chase women, but uh, I was fascinated by dog training. I went to my first seminar uh, given by a German uh, Border Patrol officer in 1974. not Rydell, and I got hooked on dog training. Uh, I went to every seminar I could, and I started to realize that I could go to a three-day seminar, and I could only remember on Monday morning or Tuesday morning about 10% of what Mm, was told. So back in 78, I bought a, a video camera for myself, and I started collecting all this footage, and people started asking to buy copies of it. And in 1982, I produced my first dog training video, which was terrible. It was how to train a competition obedience dog in two hours. That's how long VHS tapes were. Boy, was that a mistake. (laughs) I think I sold it for about six months and decided, you know, I need to rethink this plan. And Over the years we've evolved into, I stuck with it, I had another business that I could make my living from and in the beginning years I saved all the money and introduced it into, or spent it all on video production stuff. And, uh, I started to go out in the country and Europe to these seminars and videotaping them and offering them for sale in addition to producing some myself and over the years, uh, We've just grown. We've seen the evolution from VHS to Hi8 to DVDs to streaming and now online training. And we get, I don't know, anywhere from 10,000 to 18,000 unique hits a day on our
1: website. Wow, that's incredible. And
2: so we got over 1,500 free videos on the site and my wife has a like you, my wife has a little segment or little place on the front of Learburg.com dot com called Ask Cindy, and she gets questions every single day and she answers them every day, just like you do. Sure. And that's how we help people. You know, uh, I've kind of been around the the gamut from the beginning. I feel like from the beginning of time until mm-hmm. where we are during the COVID mess. So. I don't know if that answers your question, but it kind of gives people an idea. Over the years, I was a, oh, I was an AKC sheep herding judge because I went to Germany and did a bunch of videos on sheep herding. Uh, I was a canine handler for 10 years on the sheriff's department here and, and, uh, ran the training committee for the, for the state of Wisconsin police dog association. So kind of a, been around long enough that I got kind of a varied background i guess is what you'd say
1: yeah you definitely do ed who who were your influences in in learning your craft of dog training throughout your own evolution
2: Uh, that's good that's a good question because it's not it's not one thing it is an evolution and i said i went to granat's seminar in 74 and there's a whole list of people that i think if there's young people out there that want to learn how to train. Uh, for me, I went from Gernot to Bernard Mantle. Uh, I went to Dr. Helmut Reiser, who's a dentist, but one of the greatest dog trainers in Europe. Bernard Mantle was in Europe. He would come here. Oh, uh, There's a man named Carl Fuller who's a breeder of German Shepherd sheep herding dogs. And I spent weeks following him around out in the field, videotaping his dogs. And he breeds uh, show line working dogs. In other words, good looking dogs that can go out and run 40 or 50 miles in a day without taking a drink. And uh, I guess I would say uh, in the 90s, I spent two different trips to the RCMP school in Ennisville, Alberta. I'm fascinated with nose work, uh, from my experience in narcotics dog training and search and rescue. And, and, uh, they are hands down, hands down, the best scent work people in North America. And they really influenced how I think there. And then from there, you know, I went on to do d- training videos with a guy named Tom Rose in St. Louis. And mm-hmm. finally, I think one of your past, uh, Yes, michael ellis yes who's one of my best friends uh i met michael in 2003 cindy and i went to a seminar and he did things that i have never seen anybody do before it blew my mind what he was doing so we went to his seminars for five years before we did our first training video with him which was 2008 and i think since then uh we've done i don't know hundreds of videos with him but probably 10 or 12 or 13 that we sell. Michael's a genius in in dog training. He's in my opinion hands down he definitely the best is. in the United States. You know, so
1: I, it's interesting what you said because you have been around for so long and you've seen so much in dog training uh and how it's evolved and so when you just said that, you know, you went to Michael's seminar and you saw him do things that uh, nobody else was doing. What were those things? What were what were the things that Michael was doing that really uh, was a pivotal moment for
2: you? Well, that's a good one because I always poo pooed uh, this all positive dog training thing. I mm-hmm. thought it was foolish. Sure. And when we went to see Michael, we were competing in a. My wife was competing in a sport called uh, Mondial Ring Sport, Mm -hmm. and I saw the way that Michael worked with his dogs, and they all had great attitudes during the work. They wanted to work. They were happy working with him. I came from the world of yank and crank dog trainers, and uh, I thought that was the only way there was. And I made stupid comments for years about, you know, this all positive dog training thing, but Michael introduced me to it. And during the five years, 2003 to 2008, I felt like I learned everything all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shows, uh, he showed how to use rewards to make a dog want to work. And if they didn't work, rather than give them a correction, he wouldn't give them a reward. Mm-hmm. Now I ca- the caveat to that is every dog is going to find some kind of a scenario where he's been trained with rewards where whatever that dog is doing, he's going to see something that's a lot more interesting than that little treat or that little toy you got in your pocket. And at that point in time, you have to learn how to give a correction that's based on the level of, uh, based on the temperament of your dog. In other words... I bred German Shepherds for 35 years, working bloodline German Shepherds for police work and Schützenwork work and Mondial ring and French ring. And now I have a Shih Tzu. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I love her. Uh, she sleeps in bed with me. And, you know, she wears a little bitty remote collar and she's five years old and I've never used a remote collar on her for, well, one time when she was eating deer poop and she wouldn't listen to me. Uh-huh. but uh, But other than that... I just use the vibration on her and that's all it takes so you know i hesitate to use the word a balanced dog trainer but i guess michael taught me how to be a reward-based trainer and then apply when needed a correction that's based on the temperament of your dog and that's a key word right there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question
1: or not. But. No, definitely. Um, you know my my evolution is 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 somewhat similar. You know, I started training dogs uh, when I was just a kid, and uh, we were members of the North Shore German Shepherd Dog Training Club in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and. Uh, mm-hmm you know it was all yank and crank it was you know if, sure. if if you didn't jerk that leash loud enough to get your dog to yelp you weren't you weren't training uh, that was the Say idea oh yeah and and you know there were there were no food there was no uh, rewards and then um my evolution took me well i went on a pendulum i went to total positive reinforcement clicker training only but then, after doing that for a while, I realized that there were, just like you said, there are limitations to uh, positive-only dog training, um, and so then um, I took on more of a, a balanced approach uh, with that. How would you how would you describe your philosophy on dog training today?
2: Well, that's a good one. I uh, I think that years ago. And by that, I mean in the 80s, 70s, early 90s, people used to talk, the Germans, mm-hmm. who were a lot of my trainers used to talk, put your dog in a dog kennel until it's a year old, and then you take it out in obedience training, and that was really crazy. I think that today, like we have a German Shepherd puppy that's going to come in three weeks. It's five weeks old now. We start training it from the day it walks in our door, and we use... Uh, we use marker trainers, marker training. Some people use clickers, same thing. Mm-hmm. And we never stop training it. And we, we're we real careful. We don't correct puppies. Uh, we never correct puppies. We manage them and control the environment that they're in. Uh, so like you said, you're a, you're a balanced trainer, but I'm sure you would agree. You don't take a puppy out and let him run loose and get in trouble. You keep him on a leash you keep them in an x-pen when they're in your house uh you don't let them run around in your house so they put you so that they put you in a situation where you have to use some kind of force on them it, it, i get it took me a lot of years to learn how to manage dogs in the home correctly and the one that really trained me to that was my wife because she's a better dog trainer than i am uh a lot better and
1: we've got to break here for just a second it's uh Almost 9.30, and then we're going to take a quick break for news. But uh, when we get back, we're going to talk more with Ed Frowley, dog training pioneer. Don't go anywhere.
0: <laughs> we'll be right back. Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood, sharing funny tales about your four-legged fur babies, answering questions, some even ridiculous, and taking your calls. It's Pet Talk Today with your host, Will Bangura. To have your questions answered or to comment on today's show, call the KFNX listener line at 602-277-5369. 602-277-KFNX. Those outside of Phoenix call toll-free 866-536-1100. Now, back to Pet Talk Today with your host and everyone's favorite pet behavior expert, Will Bangura. You ain't nothing but a hand dog.
1: Welcome back, you home dogs. I'm Will Bangora, and you are listening to Pet Talk today on the Pulse of Arizona, 1100 KFNX, where I take your calls and answer your pet behavior and training questions each and every Saturday morning from nine to 10 a.m. Today we are joined by my special guest, Ed Frawley from Learburg Video and Kennels, who's also the owner of one of the internet's best dog training resource websites out there. That's Learburg.com. that's dot gcom Check out Ed's website. Ed, how many, I know you started to say it, but how many articles are actually on your website? Do you have any idea?
2: A lot of them. (laughs) You know, back in the early days, I got on the internet in 1994 by accident, uh, and every Saturday I'd sit down and write something and put it on a website. One of my best friends, we have the University of Wisconsin Stout in our town, and my friend Joe Brown was head of the computers for the university, and he kept yakking at me when I was on the Sheriff's Department. Oh, you gotta come in and see this thing called the internet. I don't have time, Joe. No, 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 you got to come in. And when I can close my eyes and see it, it was in an October and he came to my house in the morning, he drugged me down at the university. And we went on the, we went on the computer and we went into a library in Australia. And I was reading articles on police dog training. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was a canine handler. And I said, Holy jeez, there's the future. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to get some college kid to help me with, uh, doing a website. Well, there were none then. That was before that was before Microsoft and all these other people. So I just started. I got an HTML book and learned it myself. Oh. And then every Saturday I'd start writing an article and I'd put it on there. So I got a lot of articles on there. And some of the questions that you brought up kind of gives me ideas on new articles that I got to write because I enjoy writing. Uh, my wife and I are working on writing a book now and Well, that's about all the mistakes we've made for the last 50 years. Not about how to do Mm -hmm. things, but how we screwed things up. Yeah. So I wanted to say one thing. You asked me about my philosophy about training and I would say the most important thing that I've learned in the last 15 or 20 years evolves around corrections, not so much around, well, a lot around motivational training, but Mm -hmm. corrections and my views on corrections. And I'm sure you came from the same background. You already said you did, Mm -hmm. but What kind of hit me in the head was when I realized that the purpose of a correction is not to punish a dog, but to get a behavior change. So my little Shih Tzu, I just need to raise my voice a little bit, and that's a correction to her. Mm -hmm. My old police dog's. You know, when they were faced with a suspect that was running and I didn't want him to go, I had to give a pretty strong correction to get a behavior change. And that's the thing that new people that are training dogs need to wrap their mind around. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think no. that. That's an important a key point. thing for people to realize in dog training.
1: Absolutely. You know, when I'm working with pet dog owners and, and I will talk to them about uh, corrections and I'll tell them, I said, you know, the job is not to create fear or pain or intimidation. OK, it needs exactly. to be slightly unpleasant, but you can do yeah. that in a very humane way. And you need to temper that correction for each individual dog's temperament and personality. You know, some dogs, you know this, Ed, they're so soft, you barely look at them and point your finger, they they fall over and pee themselves.
2: You know? That's rosy.
1: And, and then you've got other dogs, you could practically hit them upside the head with a two-by-four, and they think that's a fantastic game. Let's just do that. Again, they're very hard-temperament dogs. Now, of course, in today's political correctness, I always have to say, folks, do not hit your dog over the head with a two-by-four in order to correct <laughs> yeah. your dog, okay? Um But yeah, definitely... Uh, um, with corrections. And, you know, we were talking about total positive reinforcement. I'm a huge fan of positive reinforcement, you know, um, and being able to do that properly. And, you know, um, you've got some great information on marker training on your website and all of our clients. Uh, we do a great deal to educate them on the use of markers. So if you've got a dog out there and your dog needs help training, get to Ed's website at Learberg.com. Look at what he has there. He's got articles on marker training. He's got uh, videos. Uh, you can stream things on marker training, take courses. Go to Learberg.com. That's dot com.
2: Well, so, I'm blushing again. Oh,
1: uh, hey, we got to promote you. <laughs> So do you uh you want to get a little controversial? Sure. Okay. Um I don't know. We we talked briefly about this a little bit, but we didn't get into any detail. So Petco on October 6th, this this past October, just a few days back, um, put out a statement. It's really a marketing campaign as well. It's called Stop the Shock. And um Ron Coughlin, the Petco CEO put out this campaign and, and he wrote a letter. Let me just read this real quick. It says, it ends today. Today we stop the pain for Buddy because he barks at the doorbell. We stop the stress for Sadie because she jumps for joy all over the neighbors and when they walk in the door. And we stop the fear for Cooper because he prefers a good pair of sneakers over all the chew toys on the market. As of today, Petco no longer sells shock collars operated by a person with a remote in hand because as a health and wellness company dedicated to improving pet lives, They have no business in our business. And frankly, we believe there's a better way. So today we say out with shock collars and in with positive training. We say goodbye to remote controls that cause pain and hello to expert trainers who mentor pets and pet parents with positivity, patience, and compassion. Today, we call on the rest of the pet industry and anyone who loves pets to join our movement. Help us drive positive change beyond just Petco. Today, we encourage anyone using or looking for shot collars to consider training with treats instead of electricity and partnership instead of pain. In fact, we'll cover your first positive training class if you'll let us learn what we're taking off our shelves and add your voice to our petition below and thank you for always helping us give all pets their very best lives today we hashtag stop the shock ron coughlin petco ceo ed frowley what say you
2: what say you i say that uh is his name last name johnson johnson (laughs) i say mr johnson doesn't know how to train a dog he doesn't understand dog training and he's trying, you know, I respect my competition uh, that deserves respect, but this does not deserve any respect at all. What it is, what he should be doing is to teach people how to use a remote caller properly. And I'll go right back to Rosie, my five-pound shih tzu. Mm-hmm. You know, the majority of people, the majority of people that know how to use a remote caller are are using levels of stimulation that human beings cannot even feel. One of my last police dogs wore a collar every time I go out. I use dog to uh, remote collars mm-hmm. with my dogs. I like them. It's a good quality collar. And what I'll do is put a collar on, on my arm or on somebody else's. I'll tell them to put it on your arm. Start at one. Push the button, start at two, push the button, start at three, push the button. get usually, like on a dog or collar, the average person's not going to feel anything, anything until it's up around level 20. and it goes to level 128. Mm-hmm. okay. I was using level 13 and 14 on my last police dog. You or I can't feel that. It's more like tapping them on the shoulder and saying, hey, pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. And you don't even use it on a dog that doesn't 100% understand what you're asking them to do. You don't give a, you don't give a correction to a dog unless that dog knows what you're asking them to do and it turns around and kind of gives you the finger or totally ignores you. That's when you have to start to introduce some form of correction, but to say not to use an invisible leash, which is a remote collar, this is going to kill dogs. This is going to cause more dogs to go to humane societies and put to sleep because they're dogs that could be rehabilitated with the correct training. Not so much the correct training, not necessarily the correct training. I don't want to call them a shot collar. I call them a remote collar, but let them go through reward-based training. Let them get to the point where they 100% understand you, and then if they go off leash off but you start on leash with a remote. I mean, I'm not going to give a seminar on a remote collar here, but we sell we sell remote collars on remote collar DVDs and online courses. But Mr. Johnson is just trying to sweet talk people into believing that they're so great. Their their obedience programs in my opinion are ridiculous because they don't teach people how to give corrections. They in their system, there is no such thing as a correction. Well, that's a disservice to any dog, to anybody that has a dog. Cause you can't tell me that you take a dog through Petco's training class and you take them out and God forbid you would let them go off leash and then try and call them in the face of some kind of a distraction. They're not going to come to you. 90% of the time they're going to have, they got a problem. So I'm pretty much against what he did but I'm kind of glad he did it because now I'll just sell more remote collars. My fear for the future for this country is that we go in the direction of what happened in Europe or Australia where they banned the use of remote collars. And this is where animal rights people and a lot of animal rights people are very nice people that are trying to do good things but they're not dog trainers that have any experience. Okay, so they banned them over there. We don't want to go that way in this country. I mean, they don't have guns over there either. There's a reason they have dogs that are trained in the Schutzen and Mondio ring and French ring sport to do protection work. But I'm kind of getting off at a tangent here because I'm a little, I have pretty strong feelings about what Petco just did. And it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. They should be having classes by well trained people like yourself on how to train dogs. And then how to introduce, how and when to introduce remote callers into training. Because, I mean, I've been involved in law enforcement training for a long, long time and a lot of these, uh, police dogs, they don't need to have a, they don't need to have a remote caller correction that's going to hurt them at all. Yeah, i don't know if that answers your question but no it's
1: frustrating. It, we, we can talk a lot about electronic collars and, and i want to do that uh, a little more when we come back from our our next break but uh i'm will van Gogh, your host you are listening to pet talk today on 1100 kfnx we've got ed frowley here as our guest from Learburg.com, learberg uh video and dvd learberg kennels um we're gonna take a quick break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Don't go away. We'll be
0: right back. Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood, sharing funny tales about your four-legged fur babies, answering questions—some even ridiculous—and taking your calls. It's Pet Talk today with your host Will Bangura. To have your questions answered or to comment on today's show, call the KFNX listener line at 602-277-5369. 602-277-KFNX. Those outside of Phoenix call toll-free 866-536-1100. Now, back to Pet Talk Today with your host and everyone's favorite pet behavior expert, Will Mangura. They call them rhythm and blue. Said, and and
1: and Welcome back, everybody. I am Will Bangora, and you're listening to Two Hound Dogs. Will Bangora and Ed Frowley from Learburg Kennel. This is Pet Talk Today on the Pulse of Arizona, 1100 KFNX. And before we went to break, we were talking with Ed Frowley of Learburg Video and DVD. Um, his website, probably the most visited Best dog training resource website on the internet. Be sure to check out Ed's website at Learberg That's L E E R B U R G dot com. Um, before we went to break, we were talking about Petco's decision to uh, stop sh- stop selling shock collars. We don't like to call them shock collars. Um, the thing I've got a problem with Ed is not that they don't want to sell them. Matter of fact, I, I think. In my opinion, because they have inferior collars, I don't think they should be selling them um you know, they're not all highly adjustable, which means that we've got some settings that uh, maybe you're at setting two, the dog can't feel it. You go up to setting three, there's this big jump, and holy cow, setting three hurts. I agree. And, and what most people don't understand, and I get it, they hear the word shock collar, they hear electricity, electronic collar, and you know, they immediately think, you know, sticking your finger in a light socket and, and that you're going to get hurt, Um You know, I tell people we use that collar for negative reinforcement, which teaches a behavior. It... Um, increases the likelihood of a behavior. And I tell people, you experience negative reinforcement on a daily basis. If you get in your car, you don't put your seatbelt on. All of a sudden, that car starts annoying you. Ding, 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 ding. And it keeps on annoying you until you do the behavior of buckling up. And, and that's what I do with these collars. And that's what a lot of good trainers do with these collars. You know, uh, when the dog makes an incorrect decision. And after the dog's been trained with positive reinforcement, only after the dog has gone through distraction proofing, and like you said, Ed, when the dog truly says, hey, I'm, I'm just going to blow you off or there's a distraction and it always happens it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when there's going to be a distraction in the real world that's going to be more valuable to the dog than any treat that you might have in your hand and and when that happens you only have one other way to motivate the dog and that's going to be by some kind of consequence but that consequence can be a very mild annoyance a very mild nagging nothing that has to cause fear pain or intimidation and quite frankly the dog determines the level. And you were talking about with your dog, you know, you start at one, then you go to two, and you go to three. And, and when that dog gives you just the slightest indication that it feels something, it's not running, not crying, not showing any distress, but it's like tapping them on the shoulder and just kind of annoying them. And I wanted to say that because I've not done a show specifically on electronic collars and, and I want people to understand that there is more than one way to use an electronic collar. It doesn't have to be used for, again, uh, unfortunately, and you know this, Ed, a lot of trainers out there initially, they were taking these, these collars and, and basically using it as a bigger stick. Wouldn't you say?
2: There's still a lot of trainers that do that. Exactly. You know, it, it's a sad thing, but, it, but it happens all the time and I don't even like, you know to talk about it i'll tell you this though when you're going back to what you were just saying about raising these levels slowly mm. yes what you will find on a dog like the remote collar course and the remote collar dvd i did there's 16 dogs that we took that had never had a remote collar on and we took them until we could see that they felt something or did something. They'd either like maybe their neck would twitch or they'd like look at the door. Or they'd look at the ground. Like what, what was that? Yeah. And what happens with a lot of dogs is you can take them up to, we have dogs in the, in that DVD that go to level 40 and they don't act like they feel anything. People are the same way. You can yeah. put a remote caller on you. You might feel something at 22. Your wife might not feel it until 50, Right. but With dogs, when you do it the first time, they don't understand what this feeling is. They feel something, but they don't react to it. They feel something, but they don't react to it. And then they go up to the point where they feel it, and then you stop. So you register where they feel it. But then the second time you do it, you will see almost on every dog, when you get to a much lower level, they'll give you a reaction. And that's the working level. Right. Not the high level. The low level is when they just start to feel it. Because we want it to be that tap on the shoulder.
1: Yeah.
2: And it works. If I can train a five-pound shih tzu, which I bought down in Phoenix that I love, <laughs> and I only use the vibration on her, she comes like a rocket to me. Yeah, And she doesn't need to have... She has to have a collar or she's going to be eating deer poop all the time. Mm-hmm. But, and rabbit poop. But... uh because we live on 45 acres and we got a million rabbits and five horses and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think that Mr. Johnson dropped the ball bad here. They should focus on teaching their people how to train dogs correctly. If they want to compete in this world or all the people down at Phoenix need to go to you.
1: Well, you know, here's you know. the thing. And I, and I, I talk about it, you know, and, and I know there's a lot of, you know, that obviously there's that, Total positive reinforcement camp that you know thinks that uh, uh, I don't know why, but they they think that levels that uh, you can barely feel are somehow punishing, and and, and it just it defies logic. Um, right. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, I can take anybody. I I've had a, a owner. I didn't do this, but an owner showed me. They said, "Yeah, we we put the collar on our, our baby's cheek." And she started doing it, and the baby started laughing when it felt the stimulation of the collar on the cheek. And so, you know, we've got these crazy preconceived I- ideas uh, about it. But uh, the remote training collar is one of the greatest tools that's ever been uh, invented uh, for dog training. Exactly. But it's a tool that can... Uh, have the risk of, of having, you know, a great misuse. And so because Petco has inferior products and, and they don't know how to use it, and I always say to folks, I go, you know, anybody can train a dog with positive reinforcement. You know, it's, it's hard to screw up a dog with positive reinforcement, but it takes a really, really skilled trainer to be able to use negative reinforcement and positive punishment without um, having a negative effect on the dog.
2: Yeah, you're never going to hurt your dog if you give him a treat at the wrong time. Exactly. But you are going to hurt a dog if you give him a correction that is too hard at the wrong time. So that's why positive reinforcement is a good thing. And then as you mm-hmm. go along, you slow, you learn how to do it correctly from somebody that knows. And then you go slowly. You're always going to make mistakes. Yeah. You're always going to make mistakes in dog training because you're always testing your training level. To find out, okay, is the dog ready for a correction? Should I, or should I make him do a hundred more reps with food? And when he doesn't do what I ask, I just don't give him food. So that's the beauty of dog training. It's like playing chess. It's a game that changes all the time. And you hit it on the head too, when you said some of these callers are not consistent in the level of stimulation. That's exactly the truth. I get, uh, I get emails every week from China trying to sell me a new no-bar collar, trying to sell me new le- crawler, electronic collars, and I won't sell them. I mean, I wasn't doing anything with China way before the COVID thing, and now I'm not doing it, would never consider it. But these these cheap collars are terrible. Yeah, Ed, not Ed, i, I got to
1: interrupt you. I hate to do this. i got 30 seconds before i got to get off the air. It's horrible. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Hopefully we can get Ed back on the show at another time. Um, Real quick, before we go, um, Miller or Budweiser? (laughs) Miller. Miller. Okay, one more. Rogers or Favre? Oh, I can't answer that
2: question. I'm going to
1: say Rogers. Have a good weekend, everybody. We're out of here.
0: News. Talk. Sports. The Pulse of Arizona. 1100 KFNX Phoenix.